0: A few years ago, I was pulling into the gym where I work out, pulling into the parking spot, and something in front of me caught my attention, caught my eyes. It made me stop and do a double take. Have you ever, you ever seen those little air freshener tree things? And they sell those, you buy them, and they're, I don't know, new car smell, or pine fresh, or cinnamon, or baby powder, whatever they are, and you hang them in your car so that your car smells better little trees well the car i pulled up the parking spot the car that was facing me as i pulled into the spot didn't have one little tree hanging from the rear view mirror they had like i don't know 10 or 15 little trees all just like bunched up hanging from that mirror and it's a wonder they could even see out of the windshield because there was just so many little trees and it made me it made me laugh at first i was like man who puts 15 of those in their car uh like One is good, five is better, and ten must be outstanding, right? More is better. Uh, But in addition to making me laugh, I had this thought. And maybe it was the Holy Spirit, maybe it was just me. But the thought was this, that this is the condition of so many people's souls. Like wanting, like fresh smell, fresh air, wanting the brilliance of renewal, but settling for packaged chemical substitutes. That's not to bag on those that use air fresheners in their car. But sometimes the little packaged chemical things never deal with the actual root of the problem. And so I found it, again, and maybe I just have these times with me and God, I pulled in the parking spot, and it looked like a kind of prophetic parable that many of us go through our lives thinking, like, how are you doing? Like, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm great. And we just rip off another the little, little tree to hang in the rearview mirror of our car, hoping that something changes or that something smells better or that something would be better than it is. And so we have these little trees that we hang in our lives. Some of us by the dozens. And we hang the little tree of busyness or moralism or entertainment or distraction or politics or materialism or success. Like we have a variety of little trees that will give us a little, a little blast of fresh air. Even in the church, it's easy to keep handing out little spiritual trees. Little trees to hang in our home. Instead of letting the fresh wind of the Spirit, the fresh life of God, like the real genuine thing to come and have His way, we settle for these little prepackaged things, hoping that our lives will be better, smell better, feel better. Are we just covering things up? Are we substituting what is real? Do we know what the possibilities are for the church, for the people of God? May we never settle for a little tree spirituality. Because God has so much more for his people. If you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Acts chapter 2 today. Does anyone know the significance of today, Sunday, June 5th, 2022? It's Pentecost Sunday, which means according to the Capital C Christian Church, the biblical storyline, today is Pentecost. That may not mean anything to you, depending upon your background and church tradition. That's okay. You'll learn a little bit about Pentecost today. Pentecost happens 50 days after Easter. And there's a significant part of the story of God that gets unleashed on Pentecost. So in the book of Acts here, as the book opens, Jesus is fresh off of his resurrection encounters. Now we've been looking at those, exploring resurrection, right, for these last few weeks. Looking at the way in which the resurrected Jesus engaged his followers. Some were weeping, some were confused, many had questions, some doubted. So the disciples came to experience the resurrected Jesus. Then Jesus ascends to heaven, he leaves, he's like, I'm back and I'm going. And they watch him ascend to heaven. And they've been commissioned, the disciples have been commissioned to make other disciples and they are poised to announce to the world a new king and a new kingdom and a new way to live. But before all of this kicks off, Jesus says, I want you to wait, I want you to wait for me until the promise of the Father comes. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, this is when the waiting ends. Acts 2, this is when the church is born. Acts 2, this is Pentecost Sunday. And as we talk briefly about Pentecost today, I hope and pray for our church, a yearning and a desire for the the freshness of the Spirit of God to move in our life in church. That we would not be content with little tree air fresheners to spruce up our day to get us through to the weekend. But we would encounter afresh the living God for all that He has done. Let me read this account to you. Acts 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So Luke says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, that all these events that we're about to read are, are filled with expectation. So here's the interesting thing about Pentecost. It's kind of a dual holiday. It's Christian, but it also has Jewish origins. It's kind of a Christian celebration laid upon the foundation of Jewish roots and Jewish celebration. So for the disciples of Jesus, right, Acts 2, Pentecost is already a thing in their mind. Pentecost already existed before Acts 2. The day of Pentecost was a national Jewish holy day, And at its core, it was an agricultural festival. So uh, the reason it was called Pentecost, it was 50 days after Passover, and it was a day when all the farmers of the land all over Israel, they would bring in the first fruits of the harvest. So part of that was to say, thank you, God, that we've had this part of the harvest so far. So first fruits, but also thank you for what's come in and God, may there be more of that to come. But it goes even deeper than that. Also, Pentecost was more than just your agricultural festival. That was true. They would come and they would celebrate the first fruits with more to come. But also there's deeper significance in the story. There's a linkage between Passover and Pentecost being 50 days apart. And Passover was the holy celebration of when God delivered his people out of slavery, right? In Egypt, and the plagues came, and God led his people out, and Pharaoh was defeated. Fifty days after Passover, Moses then goes up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, where he receives the law So the first Pentecost, back in that story, is Moses ascending the mountain, receiving the law, and the first covenant is established. So, all of these ideas, all of these stories are woven into Luke saying, the day, when the day of Pentecost arrived. So, some have, kind of again, in their imagination, this, this is the agricultural celebration of first fruits, gathering in the first of the harvest for more to come. And some have in their imagination the idea of this is when Moses went up on the mountain and received the law, and covenant was established with God and Israel. So all of that is kind of ripe in the background. Passover, Pentecost, lots of echoes. Here's then the story of what takes place. I'm just going to read a long account here for you. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Meaning, aren't these a bunch of hicks? Uneducated hicks? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, in our own languages, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 a.m. They're not drunk yet. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm going to jump to the very end of the story then. There's this whole sermon that Peter gives, but then he says he ends in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and there were added that day about 3000 souls. So maybe a- after hearing that we all have our Acts 2:12 what does this mean? Moment. That's what they said. They're like this is all going down. They're like what does this mean? What's happening? What sense do we make of this? Here's what it means. It means that God has done in Jesus and is doing now something that should raise our expectation level for the church. What happens in Acts 2 should wake us up a little bit. It should stir us up a little bit. It should make us dream and reconsider with great imagination the things of the kingdom of god because this story is our story and we are a pentecost people too today i want to share with you kind of four features of pentecost some pentecost expectation that I think Acts 2 offers us. God in us, God with us, God beyond us, or through us, and God disrupting us. Talk through these four things. First of all, God in us. So as the day of Pentecost kicks off, we're told that they're in this room, because Jesus told them to wait, And they hear the sound. Not the sound of an ambulance or a fire truck. But they hear the sound like a mighty rushing wind filling the entire house where they're sitting. So wind in the Greek language, wind in the Old Testament Hebrew language is a word with double meaning. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. When Jesus in one of the Gospel accounts, He breathes on the disciples. Remember that kind of weird scene where He breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. There's there's a, a bunch of meaning woven into these words. In Hebrew, it's ruach. In Greek, it's pneuma. Breath, wind, spirit. Same word. Double meaning. So here in this day, the disciples... They've been waiting, Jesus has ascended, there's a great, mighty, rushing wind, and the wind of God, the Spirit of God, blows through the room on Pentecost morning. This is the first thing that happens. The breath and Spirit of God fills that place and fills them, and it startles them. They're like, what is going on? But ever since the beginning of the story, the Holy Spirit has been active and at work. We're told in Genesis 1 verse 2 that as God is creating the heavens and the earth, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And Genesis 2 is God creates man and he makes him alive by, by breathing the breath of life. So this is God's creative, life-giving spirit, life-giving presence. And here in Acts 2, there's this shift that happens where God comes to dwell inside his people to stay. Because sure enough, there are times and places in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God would come upon a person and they would do a particular task or thing. But this is the movement of Pentecost. God is... In us. Jesus said this would happen. John 14, 17. Jesus said the spirit of truth. He said, he dwells with you. He will be in you. What would it be like if we lived with the sense and awareness and expectation that God is in us? This is not God in a temple. This is not God in a box, the Ark of the Covenant. This is not God in a building. This is not God in a geographical location in the Middle East. This is God in his people. God in us. That's what's happening in Pentecost. The Spirit of God dwelling among his people. In his people. Jesus has dealt with sin. Sin matters, but the reason why Jesus deals with sin isn't just because he's obsessed with sin. Jesus deals with sin that he may be with his people to be in his people, to make us holy, to be his dwelling place. What goes on in our imaginations when we realize, friends, God in us, God in you, Next thing, Pentecost reminds us, is God with us though? It's the fire part. So if you remember back in the story, Old Testament story, when the Jews were leaving Egypt, God had just rescued them from slavery and bondage and they're walking through the wilderness. They're wandering through the wilderness. How did they know where to go? Anyone? Yeah, how did God lead them? Yeah, so a pillar of cloud... By day, so like there's this big cloud. We're like, follow that thing. Where are we going? I don't know. When that thing moves, we're going. And at night, right, a pillar of fire. So they could. (laughs) Pillar of cloud at night doesn't work. Pillar of fire does. And God leads and guides His people. Pillar of fire at night. But now this is even better. Like, oh, what would that have been like to be the people of Israel, free from slavery, going through the wilderness? And we're following God. It's fire. That would be so cool. This is even better. This is not, again, God's spirit for certain people at certain times, coming and going in special assignments or during times of worship. The wind of heaven blows. And the fire falls, and the Spirit of God, it says it it took residence over each one of them like divided tongues of fire. So now there's the fire over each of them. Living as Pentecost people reminds us of the fire, the Spirit of God in us and with us to lead and guide us. Because Jesus is gone. That could be cause for alarm But Jesus says, it's even better for you that I go. Now God is taking residence inside of his people to lead and guide and renew and give life. Are you lonely? Are you confused? Are you seeking guidance or comfort? The fire reminds us of God's personal presence never to leave, never to forsake, to be our helper and our guide. One pastor, John Stark, says, Today is Pentecost Sunday when the people of God themselves become burning bushes. God in us. God with us. Not leaving us blind or without guidance. With us. Also, though, God through us. So Luke goes on to say that the Spirit then filled the disciples and they began to speak with other tongues, with other languages, guided and given by the Holy Spirit. Which leads into the next part of the story. They're there in the upper room, great and mighty wind, the Spirit of God comes, divided tongues of fire over them. And then verse 5 and over the next several verses, Luke paints the scene and says they then spill out from the upper room. And Luke tells us that uh, the crowd that day was diverse. The reason it was so diverse is you had these people from all these nations gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the holiday, the holy day. And they were from all over the world. Verse 9, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. Verse 10: Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome. Verse 11: Cretans, Arabians. Like, this is a virtual, it's a small world after all ride." <laughs> They're from all over the place. Luke says, "From every nation under heaven, this is multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down and these believers begin to speak of the things of God. And these people who, again, from all over the world are gathering in this place and they're hearing the truth of God in the language that they know. No Google Translate, no Rosetta Stone. They're hearing in their own language. Is this like a, just a, a supernatural display of power? Yes, there is a supernatural display of power, but this is not just about the Holy Spirit doing cool tricks and showing off what he can do. Something deeper is happening here. Again, look at verse 5. Luke categorizes these people as people from every nation under heaven. And Jesus told his disciples that through them, they would bring the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That Jesus' kingdom project was the declaration of the good news of the kingdom, Daniel 7. It's a kingdom that involves all peoples, nations, and languages serving the Son of Man, Jesus. But ever since Genesis 11, anyone know what happens in Genesis 11? Tower of Babel where humans get together and say, hey, let's make a big tower to the heavens to exalt ourselves and make our name great. And God confuses them and their languages. And ever since Genesis 11, nations have been separated and language barriers have kept people in their own culture and tribe and sect. But Pentecost happens. The Spirit comes. Mighty wind, divided tongues of fire. People speaking languages that are now understood by the nations Jesus is alive from the dead, the Spirit of God is descended, and the curse of Babel is being overturned. Pentecost is the unbabbling of the world. And God is signaling that he is fulfilling his promise to Abraham about being a blessing to all nations, And that this news of Jesus Christ as Lord is for the entire human race, not just for a particular people in the Middle East. This is not just for the Jews. This is not just for the righteous. This is not just for a certain group. This is about the renewal of the kingdom of heaven for the entire world. And so Pentecost is not just a celebration of a personal spiritual experience with me and God. It's not a privatized religious experience. But the tongues of Pentecost reminds us that God is committed to working through his people, that we become the vessels of God to carry out his mission of reconciliation to the nations, and that God, through Jesus, by his Spirit, is redeeming a multicultural, multi-ethnic family that is a blessing to the world. Unfortunately, church in America can look more like Babel than like Pentecost. And we can really easily devolve into our own groups and our own people and our own cliques and our own personal agendas so that we can build a name for ourselves. Pentecost reminds us that God... Is in us. God is with us. And God is committed to working through us to bring the good news of the kingdom to others. It's about the movement of God in a supernatural way that we're invited to participate in. That day, 3,000 people come to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and they repent and they're cut to the heart. They're like, what do we do to be saved? Repent. and Be baptized. And 3,000 that day, the church goes from this tiny group of people holed up in a room behind locked doors to beginning to be a multicultural family. Promises fulfilled to Abraham. And the reason we're here today is because of the work of the Spirit through the early church. God in us. God with us. God through us. God disrupts us. I know I can get um, maybe calloused to these stories because I've read them so many times numb to it. Pentecost is a disruptive story. Pentecost is not about keeping the status quo. This scene is about God coming and moving and disrupting all sorts of things. The disciples are in their room, quietly waiting. Whoosh, mighty rushing wind, like I imagined it messed up their hair. And then they spill out of that room and they open their mouths and they speak different languages that they had not learned. Can you imagine what that would be like? Have you ever been in a room where there are multiple conversations happening? Have you ever been in a room where there's multiple languages being spoken? Can you imagine all these people from all these different Nations gathered together, hearing the, the truths of God in their own time. It was a loud, disorienting scene. And then Peter steps up to speak. And I, I love that it's Peter, especially coming off of Randy's sermon last week, talking about Peter and his redemption restoration story. Fresh off the fireside, Peter, he doesn't run away. Peter doesn't back down. He doesn't go, oh, I don't know. This is a little bit much for me. Let's go fishing again. Peter steps up, and he speaks, and he doesn't back down. And under the greatest pressure, he says, ladies and gentlemen, we are not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. When was the last time someone encountered our church and we had to start with a disclaimer no, my friends, we are not drunk. It's too early for that. You can imagine this was a bit disruptive, spontaneous. And then Peter steps up filled with the Spirit and he delivers this beautiful, powerful, prophetic message that ties together all of these Old Testament quotations. He does beautiful biblical theology and he points to Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel's story. And he centers an exalted Jesus and he calls them to repentance. And he connects the dots back to the prophet Joel and he declares that now at Pentecost, the last days have begun. Because Joel said, in the last days, this is what's going to happen. And Peter says, this is what's happening. What Joel talked about is now happening. We're in the last days. And that God's Spirit is being released with a fresh burst of life and energy. And in a whole new way, God's on the move. And he, he highlights sons and daughters Young men, old men, servants, masters. yes all the ways in which we divide people up and stratify and categorize. The Spirit has come. Supernatural activity would be profound. Prophecy, visions, dreams. The life of heaven come to earth. And their response that crowd is. What do we do? It says they were cut to the heart. That's a little disruptive. When people hear the message and say, "Oh my goodness, what must I do? What I've got to respond somehow to this?" Three thousand people invited to repent and be baptized. It's the day the church is born, and God shakes up the status quo. And he takes fearful, weeping, doubting disciples and he transforms the lives of thousands that day. What an amazing day. Signs and wonders and tongues, clear proclamation of Jesus, confession, repentance, thousands of conversions. Like, how do you explain that? Naturally speaking, you can't. The only explanation is this is a sovereign move of God. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the life of heaven come to earth. God with us. God in us. God through us. God disrupting us. There's an old hymn with a line that says, this is my story, this is my song. And my friends, this is our story. This is our song. And I just wonder, after the past few years that we all have had, if we couldn't use a little Pentecost in our lives, as we emerge from the pandemic, as our church continues to refocus on the future, as we face a unique time in our country, as we in many ways are like the disciples in the upper room wondering what's going to happen. Couldn't we use freedom, creativity, the personal presence of God, unbabbling mission, transformation, and expectancy that heaven is breaking in? God in us. God with us. God working through us. God shaking us up. Where have we looked to our little trees? Our morals, our phones, our podcasts, our safety, our entertainment, our work. This side of Pentecost, we need not wait. So on this Pentecost Sunday, church, would we ask for greater things in hope and expectation that the same God is at work among us? This was the question of Pentecost when it happened the first time. What does this mean? Peter explained what it meant to them. And I think I leave that as a question to you, for us. Like, if this is true, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for us? Or maybe some other, I'm going to leave that as a hypothetical. I appreciate the response though. I'm going to ask a couple more questions that maybe works it out a bit more. First question. <laughs> I maybe should have typed these up, but I didn't. First question <laughs> Pentecost brings. Do you know Jesus? I would say probably many in this room do, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask that question on a day when the Spirit comes and 3,000 people hear the retelling of Israel's story finding fulfillment in Jesus. Do you know Jesus? The Spirit comes to point to Jesus as the savior and redeemer of the world do you know him not just have you gone to church before or are your parents christian or were you raised in a christian home but do you know jesus the spirit has been poured out to point to the saving work of jesus for you that you would know him and be loved by him and be forgiven by him and be made new by him do you know him Would you be cut to the heart to say, I've got to respond to the message of the gospel. What must I do? Repent. Believe. Another question. What does this mean? What would be different if you lived with the awareness of God in us and God with us? What might be different Another question, this may be as oddly specific, but which three people might God want to hear the good news in their own language through you? On Pentecost, those that were gathered there from the nations heard the good news. They heard the truths of God in their own language. Which three people in your life Might God want to use you to share the good news with? I'm going to give you long enough for you to name three names. And if you can't think of three names of people that don't yet know Jesus, maybe I would ask God about that. What does this mean? What do I do with Pentecost? Last question. What actually needs disruption in your relationship with God? In Pentecost, is about all sorts of holy disruption. Where might God need to disrupt us, disrupt you, as the Pentecost people? Let me pray. Oh, Jesus, King Jesus, risen, exalted Jesus, what a gift you've given your church. And in the same manner in which she was born, she's still being transformed today. Lord, it blows my mind that you don't just dwell in holy buildings, but that you desire to dwell in holy people, sinners who have been made holy by your blood. God in us. You haven't left us alone or abandoned us or told us just to go figure it out, but you have given us your Holy Spirit. And much more. You've given us the Scriptures, but you've given us your Holy Spirit. You intend us to be the burning bushes in the world. And you are right this very moment redeeming for yourself from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And God, we desire to be a part of that work. So Lord, we would just continue to say we surrender to you. Holy Spirit, have your way among us. <laughs> Lord, in your holy wisdom would you blow out the stuff that needs to go would you ignite in us the gifts and passions and dreams that need to stay would you give us a heart for the nations like you have in the places where we've become comfortable maybe a bit stale and dry fresh wind lord fresh fire in us that jesus may be exalted that more would come to know of his name and love. Have your way among us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.